SMQB's episode 60. How's it going, fellas? What's up? What's up? How are you? We're missing two of our mates, but we're going forward with House Milk and Rooster. So uh, before we get going, this uh, Hall of Fame NFL player was the last true two-way player in the NFL. And Toby, let's see if, if Milk can get this, all right? Is it because I know you know it? Seventy, I can't get it. I know you know it. He was the first picked in the nineteen forty nine draft by the Eagles, with whom he played his entire career as a center and linebacker. Eight time (laughs) pro, eight time Pro Bowler, two time champion. In nineteen sixty, he had the most famous tackle in all of football and all of NFL history, where he laid out Frank Gifford, knocked him out cold. And knocked him completely out of the league for a year and a half. Milk, who is this famous eagle? Number six. Uh, I no clue because I um, intentionally black out all Eagles players, so I can't answer <laughs> that question. Although I do, I know this hit. They've played this hit a lot on like Monday Night Football and stuff. It's an iconic photo. I'm, yeah. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you right now. Uh, I don't. Where? Yeah, no idea. Hey, I I, I wish this. House, you can you can. I, I wi- Let me just tell you something. I, I I if you can't see, all my right. Excitement. This, by the way. Come on, Milk. Here it is. I wish this could be. I look wish at this Frank Gifford on the on the ground right there. Who is number sixty in that? Photo? Right here. Hold on. Wait. Oh no, it won't show. Hold on. I'll take off my background. You'll see. This is crazy. This is crazy. You look at that. Who is that? Oh, there it is. Chuck. Who is it? House. Tell them who it is. Chuck Bednarik, Hall of Fame, 1967. I've got his autograph in my desk. Concrete Charlie, the last two-way <laughs> player in the NFL. Uh, autograph. I, milk, like I said last week, milk, we've read a history get, book once in your we've life. We've got to get you? out of these these <laughs> 50s and 60s numbers. I, it's too it's too hard. And we've got to get out of those decades, too. Oh, man. I signed this All on right. August 15, 2011. 11 years ago, I got Concrete Charlie's autograph. Okay. The, the only right. 60 I know is Otto Graham. Huh. Huh. All right. Well, let's move on. And we've crowned a new uh, – with lots, lots happened since our last episode. A lot of sports, including we crowned a new men's basketball champ. So, House, take it away and tell us about the Kansas – Squeaking past UNC seventy-two to sixty-nine uh, last week, April fourth. You guys find this incredible, convenient timing that the great Tar Heel from yeah. Dallas, Texas, yeah. just happens to be conspicuously absent from this podcast as we talk about the greatest comeback in NCAA Final Four championship history. Yeah, I think it's I think it's country, by the way. Yeah, well, that's not stopped him in the past, has it? Right. right. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get a we didn't get a video correspondent report from the most rough, rough. I listen, we were all celebrating for Pope. It was over. I mean, they had run Kansas out of the gym, out of the Superdome in New Orleans. And I read an interesting thing recently that actually the extra long halftime that's associated with these national championship games 
you know, instead of like the regular 10 yeah, minutes right. or whatever, it goes on for like 20 minutes while they do all this stupid stuff. Yeah. Actually gave Bill Self like a chance not only to calm his team down, but input some new defensive strategies. And their, their goal was to really shut down RJ Davis and clog the lanes. Well, whatever it was, it worked. They came back from 16 points. And uh, look, I, I guess it's generational or, you know, very much recency kind of bias. But this really was from beginning of the tournament till the end, one of the better tournaments that I can remember. Just with all of it, you know, Coach K's last tournament ever and this run from UNC with the rookie coach and the St. Peter's Disney story and, you know, Bill Self getting, you know, what they long awaited championship, which was shut down during COVID. It was an incredible, incredible tournament and Uh, game and a great game and a great game. It was US UNC in what was thought to be a laugher. And I cannot still believe that comeback that happened. Mm -hmm. I don't think uh, UNC is really going to, first of all, it's a little weird that there, a lot of them are like, well, that's okay. Cause we beat coach K in the national semifinal. And I know if Bison was, would hear, he would echo Rick, Ricky Bobby and say, if you're not first, you're last. So, right. I mean, that it look, they'll be back. Uh, I don't know how far they'll be back, but Hubert Davis clearly demonstrated. He's a good yeah, coach. He is a good coach. What, what, well, what the, they might have, they might have been a victim of their own success in losing Caleb Love, who it was thought before the tournament would be back with them next year. Now, I think he played his way into the NBA in this tournament. And so, you know, if they lose Baycott, if they lose Love, it's a very different UNC yeah. team. But it was a great tournament. Um, Both teams had uh, five guys in double figures scoring. Did, didn't it seem like to you, House, that so and and look, I we we dog on him a little bit, and and a lot's deserving, especially with the the scandals around him. But I I thought Self did some an unbelievable job at at halftime, and you talked about it. But I mean, did it seem like he went in there and said, "Look at this"? And we had talked about this before the game last Monday. These guys have no depth. Let's turn it up a notch here and let's outpace these guys. And then we will eventually catch up and they're going to run out of breath. And it seemed like that kind of happened. Like they just, I think UNC's lack of depth with Baycott hurt. It just caught up with them and they couldn't keep up. As soon as Baycott got hurt, that game was over. I mean, it was at the very end that he got hurt, but I I do agree. Yeah. Cause apparently he was barely able to walk, not barely, but he was very hobbled before the game began, but you're right. You know, when they played that, uh, Duke game that closed down Cameron, that that starting five played the entire second half. Yeah, yeah. they scored in, in that game. They scored all but two of the total points. The starting five. Yeah. So in this game, at least they got eleven it. points from uh, Puff Johnson. But but man, they they you're right. They they need some bench play next year. Speaking of next year, House um, looks like the era of free agency has begun in NCAA with the opening of the portal. And are we ever going to see another uh, repeat team like St. Peter's? I mean, the big boys will keep their teams intact, but you know, you get a little success at a St. Peter's kind of level and people are jumping ship fast. I I don't get it. I mean, I'm hoping you guys will allow me to see the other side of this argument. Because other than maybe wanting to be closer to home for some home cooking or maybe, you know, your 
your coach that recruited you just got caught up in a scandal or left for somewhere else. But it is wild, wild west with the NCAA transfer portal. Some of these numbers, you guys, are crazy. Georgia lost eight players. University of Rhode Island lost seven players. LSU lost all but one player, including two five-star recruits. There were players who were on teams that won championships like um, the uh, Murray State team that went 31-2 and lost five players. The Providence team that finally got over the hump and shared a Big East you know, title won, lost four starters. And that goes on and on and on this, the, the St. Peter's story that was so magical with their run, they lost three starters that, that guy with the, the crazy stash, that Doug, got Eddard. Doug Eddard, he yeah. left, he left for Bryant. University. Bryant. Right. What is that? Where, where the hell is Bryant? I think it's in Rhode Island, but I, I just, you know, that Illinois lost a star sophomore point guard, Texas tech lost one of their premier players, Taryn Shannon. And it's decimated not just men's college basketball, women's college basketball. I saw this great quote from Louisville's uh, coach, Jeff Walls, who said, the grass is greener on the other side because it's fertilized with a bunch of bullshit. And this is, this is bullshit. I, 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 look, I guess if we were to make the equivalent, because they are student athletes, right? The three of us were amazing students in college. And if we wanted Absolutely. to leave and go because we were getting all A's. We could try to go to Harvard or Princeton or whatever, but I, it, I can't, I can't just buy into this and it's going to kill, kill NCAA basketball and football. Cause it's happening in football too. But doesn't like the way I, I hear you again, I, I hate this whole concept of, you know, I want people to be commit. You commit to a school, you should play there. However, aren't a lot of these guys, committing to play for a, a coach and what ends up happening is you know th- think about recruitment and the relationships that are formed you know think about how holloway with those those kids and then suddenly they wake up one day and their coach is gone and you're like you got a new guy coming in and uh, you know, i i guess they're going to a new school anyways and they're gonna have a new coach but i mean is it just do you see have a little bit of sympathy for them to go when their coach leaves to say, Hey, look, I'm going to give something else, go somewhere else. It's just, you know, those relationships that they have with these coaches is so strong. And if they can't follow the coach, then what are you going to do? It's a fair point, but don't forget that um, coach, coach Williams, one of the reasons he left UNC was he had a guy jump into the portal on him. I mean, it's well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen for reasons other than the coach. I don't like it. I, I don't like it. I milk. I, I do agree that, um, you know, when you let's let's not forget that the university has, especially in basketball, they have very few precious spots to give to kids. And sometimes it probably gets very close as to who they're going to recruit. And so they make a, a big investment in these kids especially if it's not for a coach leaving. I don't get it. I guess a coach leaving, I can understand a little bit. I just wish they would put a few more strings attached. Right now, it's totally free. You get a completely free look. And by the way, you can look. And if you don't like what your options are, you can return to the school, which leaves schools in limbo. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, I don't know, is this kid going to leave or not leave? Should we fill his spot or not fill his spot? I don't like you know, it. How many more stories are we going to hear about some some 
over over aggressive dad thinks that his son ought to be starting as a freshman and the coach disagrees and think the kids needs a little development. And next thing you know, dad's got the kid in the portal. Well, maybe the coach planned on getting this kid ready to start as a sophomore. I don't know, or later in the year, it, you shouldn't be able to just give up like that and jump to, to another team yeah. anytime you want. Right. It's not the best. It's not the best life lesson either for these. No, no, nope. no, not at all. Not at all. But I mean, I, I guess, you know, if you're, if you play at LSU and your coach is still the same and you transfer to Georgia through the transfer portal or, or some other big school, that's kind of bullshit to me. I feel a little bit like the, the guy who's the St. The St. Peter's guy who just went to Bryant or wherever. Yeah, Doug Edder. Who, who was in a, that school was in a playing game, right? I think they Bryant was. Yeah, yeah. 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 They made the tournament or whatever, technically. You know, if if he sees three uh, three other guys leave, and he's like, "Shit, man, I'm going to spend the re- last year here, whatever year he is, in misery," or I can go to this school who just made the tournament and has all their players maybe coming back. Did Bryant make the tournament? I, they were. In a, I think they lost in a playing game. Really? You no, know, those oh. early, the, the like Tuesday. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They were one of those. They, who would they lose to? Rhode Island School of Design. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever ended up being a 16 seed, but I mean, that, that team who made the tournament, I think they won their conference. They might have all their players coming back. It might be an opportunity where he's sitting there going like, okay, we, we might win two games next year. All right, let's move on. Milk. You got tiger in the background, baby. Tell us about that, (sighs) man. Is there anything better? First of all, than masters weekend. I mean, there's just something about it. I I I love it. Um, Eagles in the Super Bowl, but yeah. Eagle, yeah, that's true. I guess so. Something about Master Sunday, though. I mean, it's just it's amazing. You know, I I don't I I I don't. I will get into to Scheffler in a second, but I think we got to got to start with Tiger. Tiger. I mean, and it's so funny. Like when we talked last week, I think we were like, gosh, because he hadn't he hadn't committed last Monday. We we're like, geez, right. if, he, if he ends up playing, it's a miracle, right? And then we we're like, if he then we were texting each other and we we're saying, God, if he makes the cut, it would be like the biggest deal ever. Um we were hoping he didn't embarrass himself. Right. Like, and and look, he didn't play well Saturday and Sunday, but the guy played in the Masters. And he made the cut on in really bad conditions. I, I don't know if you guys noticed, like there were eight guys under par. That's it. A, a top 25 in, in the Masters this year was three over. It was horrific wind. I mean, it, just to see him do that. And it's funny how like, you know, our expectations of Tiger are so unrealistic, right? Like they, they really are. Once he starts, once he plays in a tournament, at least for me, like my mind switches, like suddenly it wasn't, it wasn't being proud of him just for playing after day one. I was like, now I want you to win. Like yeah. I, was, I was telling yeah. you, like, now I'm just being greedy right now. Well, but it just like, shows you what kind of will he has that you, that you think he can win under those circumstances. You do. And he was in contention after day one, but there was that moment on 18 yesterday with him walking up. First of all, you get like goosebumps watching it, but I, I was watching him and like, that was the first time I, I really, really noticed how much pain he was in and his limp. And, and he, I was like, oh, my God, like this guy is going through war. I mean, not to equate it to war, but he's been through hell probably for four days. And just to, to do what he did 
And I don't know if this is the new Tiger. That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, is this as good as he's going to be? Or is he still recovering? He's already committed to playing in the British Open. I got to I, I got to give a nod to uh, one of our missing comrades, Pope, because when, when Pope said, let's not forget about Tiger's need to walk the hills of Augusta. You know, I was thinking from my vantage point in my living room, like, I don't know, this didn't seem like some huge hilly course, like climbing up one of the cliffs at Pebble or something like that. But there were so many stories throughout the weekend about the deceiving undulation and elevations at Augusta. It actually is one of the hardest walks mm-hmm. in golf. And, and Pope nailed it there. And you could see like day one, Tiger was walking confidently. Day four, he was just really hobbling to get up the 18th. And when he left the 18th green on Sunday, he was like basically dragging his leg into Butler cabin. Well, walking apparently walking down the hills was harder on his leg yeah. than walking up the hills. And there were many times where he was like, 50 yards behind his playing partner and, and that, that guy's caddy where he was just struggling to keep up. Yeah. His, you know, his distance was relatively there. I mean, Mm -hmm. especially on Thursday, he was playing the course. It was interesting. He was playing it a new way. It was like the, the tiger way. He wasn't breaking his driver out uh, a lot irons, three wood. Um, But, and I think he, and I think he had to do it that way, but you know, house you've, I've never been to Augusta and I, you've been there, right? I mean, yeah. And I hear that's the, what everyone always says is you cannot appreciate the elevation changes unless you go to this course. Yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely the elevation changes when you go there, but I got to tell you, like, I don't know if you guys have ever been to like the grand Canyon. Like you see, you get, you see it in the magazines. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. It must be so awesome. And then you show up and you're like, holy crap. Like this is, that is, what what Augusta is like when you get to Amen Corner, like you take what you see on CBS with the azaleas and Ray's Creek and everything else, and then you multiply it times a million. It is spectacular. There's not a blade of grass out of place. And by the way, one of the reasons that the that the uh, gallery is so amazing is because of the rule with no cell phone. It's everybody's yes. disconnected from their devices and they are focused on golf, and it's awesome. Yeah. Especially the guy who drank like 15 beers a day there that they kept <laughs> taking pictures of. But well, listen, uh, speak, speaking of our pal, Pope Stradamus, I yeah. seem to recall him saying that he imagined on Sunday it would come down to the 18th green and it would be Rom and JT. No, no, he, no, he, or said, did he say no, Rom and, and he said, Scheffler? He said, no, he said Scheffler and JT. And All I right. said Scheffler and Rom. Well, hold right. on. So Scheffler and JT. So he had it half right. Right. Now what I happened, what happened else, to Rom and the others though, Milk, that we who we all picked. Somebody else said Scheffler and Cameron Smith. I think that was me. We'll have to go back what, to the what tape. idiot said that. But let's not forget <laughs> that Pope also said that uh DeChambeau would take uh the <laughs> take Augusta to its knees. And I'm still waiting for that to happen. Um look, you if not for this is the tiger effect, if not for tiger and what happened throughout this whole thing, honestly, this was a, a boring masters. And I say that with full credit towards Scheffler because he absolutely dominated it. 
And it's, it's interesting. Like this is the first time I've really watched him, uh, you know, consistently over several days. And, and he's, he's, he's got some issues with, you know, we're talking about his duck hooks. And first of all, I'm amazed that this guy is as good as he is with his footwork. I mean, it means like a running joke with the way he, he pulls his foot back. Um, he does get a lot, some drives that, that go, you know, hook left, but I have never, I mean, it's, it, it's almost kind of like Tiger Woods-esque. His short iron play was unbelievable this weekend. We can't put it into perspective. You, it, 170 to 120, it was almost automatic birdie. He was getting those within five feet on almost every single, every single time he had a look at it. His short iron play and his putting was Tiger Woods level. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. And, you know, it it got this thing was over on Saturday. It got a little interesting on on Sunday. I know he, I know Cameron got it to within one. But yeah. you go back to to and then and then your man Scheffler chipped in for a birdie right that, after that and the chip closed on, the door on him. The chip on three, unbelievable. Um but then, you know, and then you get to, you know, you know, it, I, I guess it was 11 and I had said clutch when Cameron Smith birdied 11 and he got within what three, I think at that point. And I almost texted you guys. I was like, I think the 12, I think the 12th is going to decide this. And I don't know what happened there. I don't know if it was nerves or what. I don't think it was because he pulled the wrong club. But yeah. He didn't. He did the announcer said it was tempo. He, his swing. He stopped his swing. He just at I some think it was point nerves. Yeah. I think he just caught up with him. He didn't. He did not pull the wrong club. I mean, he admitted it. It was the right club. It was right. Everything was just bad execution. Bad execution. Um, and a, and a, by the way, a a, a horrible uh, uh, third shot. That by the way, that that shot cost him seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the wheels came off then and he's throwing clubs uh, mentally. He was, he was going, he, he kept it, to, he kept it together, but also look, I can't believe I'm going to talk about this. Cause I can't stand this guy. Rory I can't in this, I guess, without talking about Rory's performance. I mean, it, I was so annoyed. Cause of course, Nace had him in our little pool that we do and won money. But that guy couldn't stop hitting birdies from like ridiculous ever all over the course. And that back to back between Rory and Morikawa on 18, like you said, House, never see that again. You'll never see that again. Those two sand shots were ridiculous, totally ridiculous. But I love the quote. I love the line that somebody used on Twitter about Rory. He is the best player when right. nothing's on the line. Right, right. <laughs> right. When he can't <laughs> win. There's no better golfer when he can't win than Rory. You, but, I, but seriously, I think. His performance Sunday won him about a million dollars. Oh, it did. How, how, about, how about Shane the Body Lowry? He did it great too. Yeah, he had a he had a sick he he Milk. screwed up a par three. But I, on and on your um thing about Scheffler's short game, yes, the tournament was out of hand, but on fifteen, the par five, uh. Cam thought he had put it in the drink. He mishit a ball trying to go for the green and ended up being just before the hazard area. Scheffler laid up on, on purpose, but they were right. both, they both had short shots out on the par five. Yep. Scheffler 
pulled it back on a string to five feet, you know, for a birdie. And and Cam like couldn't even give himself like anything close to a close putt. He was like, it is the short game. It is the short game. And this weekend, Scheffler had it all. I mean, yes, he was duck hooking a couple, but he fixed it with the power fade later in the round. But he had it off the tee. He had the long iron game. He had the short game. He had the putting game. He had it all. I will I will say as it it as maybe not as exciting as a you know back and forth between the top two guys was, it did yield one of the best shots I've seen in years. And that was Saturday on 18. Crazy. Scheffler out of you know. Coke duck hooks left. Of course his his drive. I think he took a, yeah, he t- has to take a drop into the pine needles there. How far was he? Two, two fifteen, two twenty. 20. He was like two twenty three out. Two twenty three out. And I mean, that was an incredible shot. Incredible shot. I, that was the tournament right there. I mean, they were, and he gets out Wait, he, yeah, he saves par, right? I mean, no, he they made bogey five or bogey five. Back, bogey five. He gave back one when we thought he for sure he was going to give back at least two, at least two, if not maybe three. I mean, it was that, that was incredible. Um, and that's the other thing I'll say about him is because we, you know, now the talk is, is this like lightning in a bottle or is this guy for real? I think he's absolutely for real. Not only because he's of his, his iron game and all that. I, I, his mental game is crazy good. You, you you couldn't when it got and there were a couple moments Sunday where especially when he got with was going to get within one where it could have kind of gone off to the side for him and he kept it he, nothing seemed to face him the entire time. Well, Milk, let me ask you this: since, since the Super Bowl, he's won the Phoenix Open, uh, he won the Arnold Palmer Invitational, he won that Match Play event, and yep. now the Masters. So obviously, he's real for real, but is this a recent phenomenon or what, what's changed? I, I don't, you know, I don't follow guys like Scheffler as closely as you do. So I have no idea how well he played last year or the year before. Well, somebody put a stat up about his caddy. Cause he's got, he's got Bubba's old caddy. What's I forgot his name. Ted um, Morris. Yeah. Ted Morris. And it's like pre Ted Morris, nothing post Ted Morris, like unbelievable. Um, and I, I think, you know, guys like that and he, they said it yesterday when you're, if you're watching, you know, he, he used to say, I felt like on Sundays I had to have a perfect round or I wouldn't have a chance to win. And I realized that I don't have to be perfect. You know, I just have to be consistent and, and it kind of changed his outlook on the way he goes into, uh, attacking a golf course over four days. And I think it's, that's the mental game. I think I mean, the other the other part of his mental game that changed him because it's a great question that Rooster has. If I remember right, if I remember, he was a captain's pick for the Ryder Cup, right? Um, and there was a question as to whether to add Scheffler because he wasn't a superstar at that point. His singles match on on the blowout, you know, at Whistling Straits, his singles match was against number one in the world, John Rahm, at that time, and he torched Rahm. Yep, I, I think that gave him the confidence that he could play with anybody. That, yeah. that I think was the change for Scheffler. Absolutely. And yesterday was sort of match play, right? And he just dominated yeah. again. Um, so cool to All see. Right. All right. Good, good job, Mel. So uh, the NBA season is officially over. The playoffs are here. Before, we, before we talk playoffs, 
Uh, let's talk yes. a little bit about end of season awards. Um, House, most people out there are picking the Joker for MVP. Tell them why they're wrong and, and it ought to be Embiid. Well, this is really, this is a star studded NBA uh, MVP. There's four uh, or five guys who are legitimate MVP. Totally legit. I mean, seasons. the fact that no one's talking about Tatum or Devin Booker or Kevin right. Durant, you know, is yep. is crazy. Um, or, LeBron, or LeBron, up until four or five days ago, at age 37, was the leading scorer in the NBA. At you know, at age 37, and he's probably 10th or 11th in the voting. Um, yeah, Luca, John Morant. There's so many people, but this has come down to Giannis. Giannis, it's a three-man race between Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. Now, the analytics guys will tell you that Jokic has had a singular year that's even better than last year. That that basically his performance on the court all around, rebounds, assists, points, carrying a Denver team that had lots of injuries during the season, was actually better than his award-winning performance last year. Embiid is seven foot two that just won a scoring title for the first time since Shaq did 20 years ago. On top of that, uh, he has carried a team through a lot of turmoil through basically a rookie point guard who, while he's in sensational Tyrese Maxey, He's he barely played at all last year. So he lost one of his main guys. He's got Tobias Harris, who's an underperformer for a max contract. And he just got Harden and was the first player this year in all of the NBA to have a 40-20 game, led the league in scoring, and just dominates on the floor whenever he wants. And his stats are up there with the all-time performances of centers. The argument for him is that he carried that team amongst turmoil and is the leading scorer. The argument against him was that before James Harden joined the team, the Sixers were the two seed playing for the one seed. They were better than the Celtics. And, and after Harden joined, if Embiid was really the MVP, they should have gone to another level. They should have locked up the one seed and not lost some of those critical games against you know, various teams like the Heat and the Bucks, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're the MVP, you beat those teams. Um, I think it's probably going to go to Jokic. I think there's a bias against it. Uh, I think they're going to say you can't give the person who wins the scoring title the MVP. Otherwise, there would be lots of, you know, undeserving MVPs every year. I, I don't know. I, I wish I wish it went to Embiid or at worst gave it co-MVP. Yeah, but let me just say this. Uh, viscerally, I want it to be Embiid. I mean, if I'm picking teams, he's my first pick, period. You can't, there's nobody who can guard him in the, in the league. But let me just play devil, devil's advocate. Jokic is the first guy in the history of the league to have over 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 500 assists in one season. It's wow. never been done. It's never been done before. Embiid, Averaged 30.6 points a game. Jokic averaged 32 points a game. Embiid averaged 11.7 rebounds a game. Jokic averaged 15. Embiid averaged 4.2 assists. Jokic had 13. 
So uh, statistically, Jokic gets the gets it, but I'm just telling you, watching these two guys play, Embiid strikes fear into the hearts of the opponent, and Jokic, you're like, how did that guy do that? You know, he just doesn't look like he should be that good. And I, it's 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 a, it's a phenomenon. I don't get it. You know, it's funny. This is this is playing out a lot like how the end of last year when it was in baseball, Bryce Harper against Juan Soto and Trey Turner. And it was like, you know, whatever. You can go with any one of those three. What will be interesting will be the reaction of the player that gets slighted and what that does to their playoff, you know, mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, most of the other uh, most of the other awards are kind of spoken for. Coach of the year is hands down to Monty Williams and the Suns. What he's you think been... so? Oh yeah. See, I think again, there there could be uh, any one of five or six guys could get it, and and they would deserve it. There uh, been yeah, I mean, there have been some good coaching jobs this year. I mean, the Celtics are definitely one of them, and you know, Grizzlies, Tyler Jenkins, the Grizzlies, but. I mean, the Suns are a runaway in a very difficult yep. West. Yep. I, they're they're a great team. Uh, the sixth man is definitely going to Tyler Hero of the Miami Heat. He might as well be a starter. He would be a starter on most any other team. And uh, this is a little strange one. The most improved player is likely to go to Ja Morant, which when you uh, think about it, like just because of the leaps that he took um, – it's weird to think about a guy who could have also been an MVP candidate for most improved, but I don't know, Rooster, are you hearing anybody else other than John? I, I like Jordan Poole for most improved Uh huh. because Golden State was sort of dead in the water with all those injuries for a while there. And Jordan Poole stepped up and scored 20 a game and kept them afloat. Um, I, I'm hearing some, some, some noise behind Jordan Poole for most improved and Darius Garland, the Cleveland point guard. Yeah, Th- those would also be good votes. I I think I think Jaw's going to get it because of just his stardom right now. Um, I also think this is the year that um, uh, what's his name on the Jazz does not get Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, I don't think Rudy Gobert is going to. I think get Mar- it. I think Marcus Smart gets it. I, there, I agree with you. And so, some people are saying that the reason why Rudy won't get it is literally like voter fatigue. Like we give it to that guy every year. He's a great defensive player, but Marcus Smart of the Celtics is the best defender on the best defensive team in the NBA. And when that happens, you're likely to get Defensive Player of the Year. Bam Adebayo of the Heat could have had a shot at it, but he only played 57 games. And Giannis and Rudy. Uh, are both def- great defenders, but I think it's going to go to Marcus Smart. Yep. The rookie. What do you think? Here, what do you think, Milk? Uh, I think I want to break this up because let's get to some some real trophies. I need a. This is what I need. Okay, and this All is right. what you need to to you explain to the average fan. Playoffs start this weekend, right? There's this 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 relatively new concept of play in games. I need a breakdown of that. Okay, who's coming out of those and who's playing in them? Um, and then I need your predictions coming out of the East and West. And why do you guys keep sliding Miami? You don't even talk that their coach is not up for coach of the year. Isn't, isn't it? Unexpected? He, I, I, I have him on my list for coach of the year. I think he's done an amazing job with, with a guy who, uh, is difficult to coach, you know, Jimmy buckets is not an easy guy to coach. As I think, as, I, as Spolstra found out recently, I, I think Spolstra <laughs> is the, is the best coach 
in I think Eric Spolstra is the best coach and the next best coach who also did an amazing job, but won't get any play because they're the five seed. Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors is an incredible coach. He won't be up for coach of the year, but Spolstra and, and Nurse, I think, are the best coaches of the Monty Williams. How about Chris Finch, who took the Minnesota Timberwolves out of obscurity until all of a sudden everybody loves him? Yeah, yeah. All right, but so are the playing games one one game? Milk, you call this you call this last year after we called some bullshit about the whole play-in concept. You said, make no mistake, this is an extra game and a money maker. This will be back. Yep, yep. Here here's is. how that here's how it works, Milk. The seventh and eighth seeds play each other. The winner of that game is in. Okay, as the seventh seed. And as who is the, that as in the, the West? Seed in the in the. Well, I'll let House talk about the East. Then, then the um, ninth and the t- tenth seeds play, and the eighth seed is determined by the loser of seven versus eight playing the winner of nine versus ten. Got it. Okay. All right. And then on Friday, the winner of ten versus nine plays the loser of eight versus seven. It's a mess. So, but so one basically, team's getting in, right? Somebody this, has to win twice. This is to one, get one playoff spot. No, not. Yeah. not it's nine and 10 it's do or die. Like you're out if you lose, but if you win, you get another shot because you can play the loser of the seven versus eight game. Right. Right. Got it. Okay. okay. So these, these games happen Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday of this week. So interesting enough, isn't Atlanta one of those? The yes. Atlanta Hawks who have been totally mercurial this year right. are the nine seed playing the Charlotte Hornets. And I really like Trey young and John Collins, that whole team to get it together uh, and run Charlotte out the gym. I, that's my guess. They would play uh, the loser of of Brooklyn versus Cleveland. And although Cleveland has a fun young team, Brooklyn's going to have it together. Everybody's allowed to play in New York now. And so Brooklyn's, I think, going to win that game versus Cleveland. Brooklyn would become the seven seed and end up playing the Celtics. And that would be a hell of a first round match. Mm-hmm. Celtics versus the Nets. And then you would look at um, Cleveland playing the Hawks versus the Hornets. I think the Hawks win that. And then you'd have the Hawks who made the finals last year of the Eastern Conference playing the Heat. So you could have some incredible matchups. You could have Heat Hawks, Celtics Nets, Bucks Bulls, and Sixers Raptors in the East. The East is where ooh. it's at this year. Ooh, ooh. Yep. yep. Rooster, what do you got in the West? Well, first of all, the big story in the West is the Lakers didn't even make it to the 10th seed. And their coach is gone. I mean, apparently they they were talking about it Sunday after uh, the Lakers beat Denver 146-141 in overtime. And the reports are already out there that Vogel's gone and someone put a microphone in front of him and he said, I haven't heard shit yet. I haven't been told shit. He said, <laughs> I love I when that happens. <laughs> the guy won. You guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. LeBron ran another guy out. Boy, yeah. he's got there should be just a hall of fame for the hall of shame for the roadkill that LeBron took out. Go ahead, Rooster. Mm. You know, Vogel Vogel won with defense. He's a great defensive coach. He won a world championship for them in 2020 with defense. The front office turns around and trades away all their young defensive stars to be the rising stars and listens to LeBron and brings on all this dead wood and Russell Westbrook. And, you know, they traded away all their picks to get AD. 
this is a front office problem. This is not a Vogel problem, and um, they're not going to fix it by firing the coach. But anyway, I digress. Um, the Suns were number one all year. They were the best team in the league, you know, without a doubt. And the question is, who can possibly knock them out yeah. in the West? I actually think it's the Warriors. But here's what's happening. Um, you got you got Tuesday night. The Clippers play the T-Wolves, eight versus seven. Paul George is back, but the T-Wolves have been hot lately, really hot. I mean, they finished up 46 and 36. I'm picking them to win in that game. I think they're going to win that game. Wednesday night, you've got the Spurs, who were who just barely squeezed in. They were 34 and 48 on the season mm-hmm. against the Pelicans. Great who also who also finally figured out how to play without Zion. And between um, Ingram and Rudy McCollum, they've been playing great lately. Yeah, they got C.J. McCollum. That's what changed that team. Yeah, C.J., sorry. So nobody wants to play them either. I think the Pelicans win. So I think the the T-Wolves are going to wind up playing the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans will play the Suns and get blown right out of the court. and then, you know, I, I, the Warriors play the Nuggets. The Warriors, with all their injuries this year, finished up with the third best record in the NBA, which is amazing. At, at one point during the year, they were the best team in the, in the league, neck and neck with the Suns. And then everybody got hurt. Well, now they've got Clay back, who just had a great game the other night. Um, Drayvon Green. Raymond Green is back and played for the first time Sunday a back-to-back game without having any back problems, and they're ready to go. Um, and and then, the, like I said, Jordan Poole's been playing great. So, if those if their big three plus Jordan Poole are playing well, I give them the best shot at knocking out the Suns in the West. The Mavs had been playing great, and um, Luca hurt his calf muscle Sunday night had to be taken out of the game. He's got a whole week to recover, but we'll see. I don't think the jazz are going anywhere out of the West this year. I I think it's the Suns and the Suns, the Grizzlies, the Warriors and the Mavs have the best chances. And I've got the Suns and the Warriors on the top. Yeah. I agree that because the Warriors don't have to really play a really tough team until the finals, I think they get to the finals against the Suns, but I'll tell you, if Luca gets hot and the injury's not serious, the Suns Mavs second round match would be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually think the Mavs Jazz is a good is a good uh, first round matchup too. But yep. but yep. I, I think I think the Suns are going to cakewalk back into the finals. I really do. I hope they win it. I, I love the coach. I love the team. I hope they win it. I'd like to see Chris Paul get one. Uh, it'll it, it'll be fun. I, the East is going to be. Very hard to predict. I think Jason Tatum is otherworldly right now. They've finally yeah. figured it out how to have the chemistry on that team. Um, they did suffer an injury to their center, which is going to hurt them a lot. But, you know, when when Giannis gets pissed and gets overlooked and when Chris Middleton is hitting it from outside, I I, I think it's going to be, unfortunately for my Sixers, I think it's going to be a Bucks celtics Eastern final. We'll see what happens. Come on, man.
Huh. Well, don't call it a comeback. Who's got a punchable face of the week? I have one, and I'm interested to see whether I've got a couple. So let's see if one of them overlaps. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I doubt that this would overlap, and I'm not sure that everyone's going to agree this deserves a punch. Oh boy! But I am a purist, and I got to say, my punchable face begins with the expression. Pitch, please. If you guys have not heard about Pitchcom that is about to ruin Major League Baseball this year, <laughs> give me a break. So now we're so worried about the integrity of baseball that we want to get cheating out of the game and all this stuff that you can no longer do nods of the head and stick your fingers down in your crotch and tell your pitcher what to what to pitch. So now you put a James Bond device on your <laughs> on your wrist. The, the catcher is allowed to record it. And by the way, the catcher can record it in English, in Japanese, in Spanish, in Korean. And then there's a little transmitter that goes inside the pitcher's cap. And uh, a couple of the fielders are allowed to have it. And it lets everybody know the pitch and potentially the location. Because what the catcher can say is like curve, curve. And the first pitch that he says is kind of location. And then the second pitch could be maybe the pitch. I mean, they can figure it out what they want to say, but you're seeing it now. You're seeing the catcher reach over, press something on his wrist, and then the pitcher knows. Supposedly, it's to eliminate cheating and speed up the game. Yes, it is speeding up the game. It is. The batters are starting to complain that they're not even ready yet, and the pitcher's already got the the pitch that he knows he's going to throw and is ready to throw it. Pitch, please. What the? Are you kidding me right now? I I didn't know this of this. Real. Wait. So we're putting a a like secret service earpiece into pitchers' ears, and and they're they're also going to be able to give a little shock to the hitter just as the balls come in. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, somebody. I guess it was. I guess it was. uh, You. I I don't. One of you guys when you said Bison. uh, Bison. Bison hates it. What's yeah, so great about he's baseball? We're talking about, you know, the, just the purity of it, the sounds, the smell of the grass, the crack of the bat. This is not purity. This is George Jetson bullshit. Well, right. well, once you start talking about technology like this, by the way, and putting earpieces in, isn't that just going to lead to more cheating? Surely it's- they're going to figure out a way to like put the device in and I don't know. It's all right. Sweet. All right. All right. I'm giving a pitch slap. All right. Following up on the angry old men commentary, I've got yeah. one. And it's this new it's this new trend of young football players who are coming up on the end of their rookie contract. And in order to gain a little leverage with their team, they scrub their team from their social media. And so oh. when Kai when Kyler Murray's contract oh. was coming up, all of a sudden the big news is, oh, he's he's eliminated the Cardinals from all social media. What is that supposed to mean? And then his agent puts out the statement to the Cardinals on social media. If you don't sign Kyler to a long term extension, you don't want to win the Super Bowl. What? That's such bullshit that I mean, who would ever have thought of treating you know your employer that way when you were a young you know, employee. Now, Debo Samuel, my, I love this guy. He's pulled that shit too. He's, he's scrubbed the 49ers from all of his social media. It's just oh, stupid, bad a- agents giving young guys bad advice. 
Yeah, it's, it just drives me crazy. Wait, I'm sure there are people angry, out there saying, chill out, Boomer. But yeah, I, hate old man. I hate it. I hate grumpy. it. I hate it. Hold on. You're so very I'm unclear. Who are we punching? And we're punching the agents and the players who, who okay. condone this bullshit. <laughs> okay. And and now I have another one, God damn it. And this is this guy is a uh, perpetual target of perpetual target of mine. And and I know House is gonna defend him somehow or another, but Shefty has done it again. Oh, come on. Yes. He's the first guy who broke the story about Dwayne Haskins' sad <laughs> death. And he has to do it by knocking on Dwayne Haskins and giving him shade instead of just saying, you know, rest in peace. He's died. He says uh, Dwayne Haskins is standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL died this morning. Why do you have to why do you have to give a negative commentary on him like that when he's dead? This is it was disgraceful. I thought, fuck you, Shefty. I thought you were going to punch that Gil Hodges guy who's recording. If you haven't heard that audio, he was the guy that scouted Dwayne Haskins and his audio of two minutes is terrible. I mean, that was like true. Yeah, I don't even want to go on that. But like even Lamar Jackson ripped Shefty and called him a lame POS. Oh, yeah. He and was others lame. have, too. And then Shefty deleted the the, the tweets. It's, it's just distasteful. I don't I, I think we need to do a pour out. For Dwayne Haskins, he, for, by all accounts, was a very, very nice young man. That his teammates everywhere loved him. Uh, his coaches loved him. He he just seemed like a really nice guy. Sure, it didn't work out great in Washington, Pittsburgh, but so what? He was a 24 year old guy whose life was ended by a dump truck. That's let's, true, let's not I, dwell I, on what he didn't accomplish. I think it's a news line. If someone had a part of their career that stuck with them in their career, you know, like Richard Nixon dies, you know, Richard Nixon impeached president who resigned. It's going to be part of it. You can't always, you know, give a Juwan hug, despite the fact that someone, (laughs) (laughs) that someone died. It's very, very sad, a true tragedy, but it is actually part of the tagline that the story of his life in one line is he was a standout Ohio State, but could never get traction in the NFL as a starting quarterback. I yeah, this has not anything to do with death, but I was getting annoyed with headlines this weekend, Rooster. Yesterday, when it was like Tiger has his two worst rounds ever at the Masters, I'm like, what the fuck? He played like stop. But you guys yeah. are snowflakes. People just can't be have any empathy anymore you know i mean it's a bunch of fucking you know couch couch dwelling people who've never played the sport who just like to dump on everybody else can't you find something nice to say well here's what's nice to bullshit here's what's nice to say it's a tragedy what happened to dwayne haskins you were right rooster and we should pour one out for him yes we should do we know what happened to him by the way does that, I don't Not know. Yet. No, I don't think it's out yet. The latest I heard yet. was that his car did run out of gas and an attempt to get gas. I don't know where the gas station was, but he was walking literally across the highway and a dump truck clipped him. And I don't, you know, beyond that, that's, that's the most that I've heard that we know that he got clipped by a dump truck. And we right. know that he was walking across the highway and the rumor is that he was out of gas. Yeah. All right. All right. On that note, Milk, do you have a nice story to share with us? You got a lasso? 
barbecue sauce. No. <laughs> Anyone? Is that Anyone? Anyone? No lasso? This is two weeks in a row we have no lasso. Can we just, well, can I, we just say that Tiger? I was, I was going to give the lasso to Tiger, but... Give it. I, give it. I, I mean, yeah. He already look, did. How, how can we not? The guy came, thought that, I mean, literally a year ago, if, if you go back and listen to our podcast episode 15 or whatever it is, we were probably saying he was destined for the champions tour and maybe to walk with a cane. And the guy just played the masters and he made the cut and he finished the round uh, in an unbearable pain. You got to give the lasso to the guy just on work ethic. That's the kind of shit that we need people to see you let. And I was telling my kids about it this weekend. They need to see stuff like that. You got to, nothing's easy. And Barbecue you gotta, sauce. You got to work really hard. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, he's got to get the lasso. So. All right, house, you had an around the horn. You wanted to do guys. Let's get some quick hitters. I don't know if you know this. There is a new league starting next week. It's actually pretty near and dear to my heart and you should take interest in it Two milk. The USFL is starting up again on yeah. April 17th. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. an eight-team league that includes the Tampa Bay Bandits Milk. You have the New Orleans Breakers, the Houston Gamblers, the Birmingham Stallions, and then you've got the Michigan Panthers, New Jersey Generals, Pittsburgh Maulers, and the Philadelphia Stars. When the Eagles really were sucking terribly in the 80s, uh, my dad had almost pretty much given up on them, and we bought season tickets for all three seasons to the Stars, including the third season when they were in Baltimore. The Stars were in all three championships of the yep. USFL, winning two of them. Um, here's what's kind of cool. There's a couple things that's cool about the USFL. I think it's got a chance to make it because Fox Sports owns it, number one. Number two, they've got real coaches like mm-hmm. Todd Haley, Jeff Fisher, Mike Riley, Skip Holtz, Kevin Sumlin. These are guys who have coached real teams in college or the NFL. But here's what's awesome. I think it's going to be the forerunner to things that happen down the road in the NFL. I don't know if you guys have seen, they're finally using goddamn digital technology. The way you can see whether a baller is in or out in tennis, you can see exactly how many millimeters, inches, centimeters it is to a first down. You're going to see exactly whether it's a first down or not. They also have two amazing overhead cameras that is going to give you a much clearer view of the plays and they're having players mic'd up. So we're going to get a little bit more of that. All the games are being played uh, in Birmingham in a kind of a controlled environment. I think it has a chance to be uh, a legit minor league of sorts into the NFL. Like I think it's going to give players a chance. Yes. You're not going to have big audiences watching it. No, it's not going to be like the AFL that merges into the NFL or something like that. It's just going to be a good stepping stone league with some technologies that I think the NFL may embrace. I this, I am absolutely 100% against this league. First of all, I love the Bandits. Uh, the the Bandits were more popular than the Bucks, very similar to the Eagles, especially when Spurrier was was coaching. But they're all their games are in Birmingham. They're, the teams you can't even I can't go to a Tampa Bay Bandits game here. I mean, you That's lost road. me there. And I understand That's road they, trip. They did it because they're trying to save money cuz like if you keep that's the biggest expense of all, all these leagues, but like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you've lost me. I, I agree with milk on that. Um, I, I thought it was genius to keep the original teams 
because they were popular in the eighties. I mean, there were some good players who came off those teams and played in the NFL and, you know, I mean, people would go to a New Jersey generals game from the uh, tri-state area, but they're not going to Birmingham to to see New Jersey generals. That's crazy. Right. Road trip. (laughs) Hey, have you guys, have you guys heard of Rory Sasaki? No. All right, so he's this 20-year-old Japanese pitcher. He just threw a perfect game and struck out 20 batters in a, in this perfect game in the in the uh, Japanese Major League. Wow. Keep your eye out for Rory Sasaki. And uh we've I mean we had a great week. We had the fantastic F1 race in Australia and that Man City versus Liverpool match yesterday unbelievable. What a match. What a match. I'll anyway. end it with this. My my uh, round the horn is there's one undefeated undefeated major league baseball team right now. <laughs> Just one. How's Wander Franco? Doing? I'll, I'll leave it at that. Wander Franco is on pace. As I told you guys, as our viewers uh, know, you will know very well the Wander Franco name in September and he's already well on his way. So you think you're going to be able to p- play the Orioles every game for the rest of the year? <laughs> Don't All tell right. them who we played this weekend. Come back soon, Come back Bison and Pope. We miss uh, you guys. They're, for our viewers that don't know, they're down in Mexico uh, scouting out the Mexican uh, national soccer team. So we'll get a report on that. Hope you guys are having fun with Dan Snyder. All right. All right. Later, All right. guys. Yeah. Episode 60 in the bag. SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.